Welcome to the New Life Millbrook Weekly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit nlmillbrook.com. Well, good morning, everyone. We'll get, uh, we'll all meet at the coffee pot. Hallelujah. Everybody find their seats. Y'all having a good year? I'll ask again, are y'all having a good year? You know, I just thought of this. I said, you know, the year 2023, a good year to be free. Amen? 2023, a good year to be free. And, uh, you know, Peter and I and, and, and different ones have been talking about this, and, but Peter brought it out that this year, at the beginning of the year, there's some things which we look at it as foundation, uh, fan, foundational truths that we all should abide by, especially being believers. And he used the word bricks many times about laying those bricks, uh, looking at those things, again, the foundation of things. And, and uh, the word he used when he talked to me about this and, and to uh, emphasize was the year, is the word discipline. And uh, the spiritual discipline, spiritual bricks, these are foundational truths that, that the body of Christ should never, ever let go of. Matter of fact, they should keep them before us at all times. Amen. I don't know about you, but there's just no possible way that I can go to church for 52 weeks of the year and hear everything I need to hear from God pertaining to my life. I mean, you may go a whole year and not hear anything about the blood covenant through the pulpit, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't be hearing it in your daily Bible reading. Huh? It doesn't mean that you can go the whole year and not hear about the blood of Jesus and how it's applied to your life. And if you're waiting to do it 52 weeks, which means that means you never even missed a Sunday. What if you only showed up at church once a month? 12 times out of 365 days. You know what takes place in that? We begin to identify with something other than our God. Why? Because that's what we have before us at all times. You know, James uh, chapter 1, he speaks and he says... Uh, he brought forth the truth. And he said here, he said, uh, verse 19, says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear. Hear from God is what he's talking about. Not hear from what the world has to say, but hear from God, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. It says, Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and, superfli- uh, and naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted or the imparted word which is able to save our souls. And he goes on and he says, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving our own selves. How many of you realize we can come to church and hear the word of God? I've done it. You've done it. I think everybody has. We heard the word of God. We shouted amen. Anybody ever done that besides me? And walk right out the door and forget what manner of man we are. Huh? Then we get right back out there and say, well, I don't know what we're going to do with this economy like it is. Huh? We just got through hearing how God's going to meet all of our needs according to his riches and glory. Everybody shouted, we're all happy. We walk out the door, we forget what manner of man we are, and what do we do? I don't know what we're going to do. Why did that happen? It's because we have heard for six days and 23 hours what the world is saying and gave God one hour at best. So what you're hearing 
It's getting into our heart, into our spirit being, and that's what we're identifying with. Huh? Because it goes on and he says, For if any man be a hearer of the word, not a doer, he is likened to a man beholding his natural face in a glass. In other words, he's looking in the mirror. For he, that man, beholdeth himself. He looks and says, this is who I am, and walks out and forgets what manner man he really is. Marsha asked me all the time, what did I wear last Sunday? And you know what my response is? I have no idea. I don't even know what I wore last week. When I was preaching that week, I just pull up back up online and look and say, oh, this is what I wore. If I had any questions. Why? Because then you forget what you wore. You forget these things. But what you're focused on and what you're allowing to hear and entering into your spirit being, what you are, are, are constantly watching on TV, all of these things has a, is part of, of discipline, really. It's discipline. So what do you mean? Well, let me just read it this way to you. I looked up the word discipline because how many of you know that the word discipline today doesn't mean what it used to mean? I'll say that again. It doesn't mean the same. I'll prove it to you. In 1828 Webster's Dictionary, I've got one of those. It's always available online for free. All you got to do is type it in, 1828. And you'll find that the words back in 1828 had a different meaning than the words do today. If you look up the word bad in 1828, it meant bad. Today it means good. You know what I'm saying? Let's see what this word says about discipline. In 1828, it said this about discipline. It's a Latin word. And it says, education, instruction, cultivation, and improvement. Comprehending instructions in arts and sciences, correct sentiments, moral and manners, and due subordination in authority. That was the number one. Now, it has like four different things that goes down. And the last one out of the four is correction, reprimanding, and punishment. Google, pull it up on Google today, this is what it says. See, this is today's view of discipline. Same thing, they got four things. Never does it even mention about being instruction, except at the very last, maybe just one word in there. This is what Google says. The practice of training people to obey rules or code of behavior using punishment or correcting disobedience. In other words, the world looks at the word discipline as a bad thing as a bad word, something that, that is, is, is punishment. Today it's most com, uh, mostly looked at as a, a means of correction and punishment rather than instruction. God instructs us. And we can look at this and prove this out because, see, that being the case that people look at correction and punishment rather than instruction, we can see that the word discipline with that word, they think, or their tendency is to think of chastisement or being reprimanded instead of instruction, okay? The word discipline in the Latin word is a Latin word, and the root meaning comes from pupil. Not the eye, but pupil as a student. That's where it came from. It's the same word there used with disciple. Oh, disciple. It came from the same root word pupil as well. How many of you know... The disciples were students of the Lord. Hmm. And he taught the disciples the kingdom of God's principles. 
He taught them that. That's why they were disciples. So the word discipline is not about correcting. It's not about reprimanding. It's not about punishment, but rather instruction. So if you look at the word and we think about this from today's perspective, when we hear the word discipline, I mean, well, we're not disciplined about this or that. It means, well, we're going to get in trouble. I've grown up my whole life. Discipline was always a word meant that I'm in trouble. Huh? It didn't matter if I was at school. It didn't matter if I was at home or at church. I was going to get disciplined. And I knew that that meant it wasn't going to go well with me. But that's not what it really means. God's word, his word reveals both the good rewards afforded to those that observe to do his will and the evil rewards for those who choose not to follow his word. You see, discipline is a reward. You know, the, the consequences of, of being obedient has rewards. The word discipline is not an evil word or a word to be feared. But yet, we have a tendency, we hear that word discipline, there's just something about us wants to just clam up, move away. I don't want to hear that. Mm. You see, the application of godly discipline in one's life should be viewed as a reward for obedience. Did you hear me? I'll read that again. The application of God's discipline, his word, what he's taught, in one's life should be viewed as a reward because you were obedient, because you were a doer of it. While the absence of God's discipline, his instruction, in one's life should be viewed as consequences for disobedience. We get to make the choice. We make the choice of whether we're going to receive the rewards, rewards for obedience or we receive the correction or the punishment for disobedience. We make that choice. God didn't make the choice. God gave us instruction. He gave us discipline. We get to make the choice. So instruction is not a bad thing. and Discipline is not a bad word. You see, throughout the word of God, God reveals to the nations, if you do what is right, you'll be blessed. And if you don't, it won't go well with you. Did he not say that from Genesis all the way through Revelation? Isn't that what it says? He's instructing us in how to what? Have things go well with us. But man chooses to walk in what he is identifying with. And if he's spending all of his time identifying with the world, not identifying with Christ, then he is going to walk in the things of this world. And in doing so, things don't go well with him. Are you hearing me? Now, so when we think of the word discipline, we should think of good rewards and not punishment and correction. And, you know, every six weeks, we were on a school system of six weeks in, when I was in school, and now it's on nine weeks everywhere, but every six weeks I made the same declaration. This time, I'm going to do well. This time, I'm going to do my homework. This time, I'm going to pay attention. And it wasn't five minutes in there. I was already in the wrong subject. I, I'm daydreaming out somewhere else. I didn't know. I didn't want to. It just did. I don't know why, but I identified with the bird that flew by the window, and I'm gone. They're in science. I'm still in math. Call on me to read, and I have no idea what we're doing. How many of you know that discipline surpasses or outperforms 
education. It will always outperform education. See, there's a lot of educated people in this world who don't practice what they've been taught. You ask them a question, they'll give you the right answer. Watch how they live, they don't do it. So guess what happens? There's no demonstration in their life to the very thing that they know is a truth. So how long will it be before that truth will be turned into a lie and they'll start justifying all the reasons why they're not walking in what they know to be true and blaming it on you or the government? Because they're going to do it. How many of you know that discipline surpasses or outperforms talent? It will always outperform talent. The most talented athletes watch the game sitting in their lazy boy in their living room. And the reason being is because they would not discipline themselves, instruct themselves, get up, get out of the bed, go down here, begin to run, do these exercises, do this, do that. They won't do that. So what they do is they were full of potential, more potential than most of the people that you watch on TV on Sunday, yet they're watching it from a lazy boy, the people that they were had more potential than because they would not pay the price. They would not follow the instructions to do what it takes to get on that TV set. Well, there's an application to all of that for me and you. And uh, the Lord gave me a word for the church, not just this church, but the church for 2023. And I want you to really pay close attention because I don't know how well I'm going to do this. I want you to pay because I want you to get the heart of it. And I believe that when we get through today, I'm going to tell you now, I didn't get with EJ about the song list. I didn't get with Ira about the offering. But you're going to see how God orchestrated this whole message today for your benefit. You'll see how all this is tied together. And he's been working on me for weeks about this. They had no clue. And EJ, I just love that song. If God's not through moving, I'm not through waiting. If he's not through working, I'm not through praising. Amen? Well, let me ask you something. Is God through with you? It's quite obvious he's not because you're sitting here alive. Then you're not through. Then we have got no reason to stop praising. So why would we not? Why is it we wouldn't keep pushing forward? Why was it we, we would give up or just sit back and do nothing, become motionless? Because we're identifying with something rather than him. That's the only reason. Now, over in 2 Kings, I didn't tell Joshua up there, 2 Kings chapter 13, there's a story here that most of us are familiar with, and, but I'm going to act like it's not because I want you to see the whole story. And this is what the Lord said to me and spoke to me about this year and about the church and how we are to respond, how we are to take the things of God the instructions of the Lord, in other words, the disciplines of God, and apply them to our life. And what happens if we don't? But rather to see what he really wants for us. And so could you pull up that uh, scripture verse there? Second uh, Kings 13. And I'm going to give you a little history to what's going on before we get there into where we're going to go to. During the previous reigns, uh, we'll start with, there was uh, 
we're going to be talking about the, the prophet Elisha, okay? And to get there, in verse 14, Elisha is now on his deathbed. It says there that the sickness that which he died, he is now starting in verse 14. Can you put that up there? There it is. Now, Elisha was falling sick of the sickness whereof he died. And that's where we want to see. Do you realize that for 50 years, right at 45 years is what it really is, about 45 years, the prophet Elisha has not been heard of. Nobody has heard a thing that he has said. You know why? He hadn't gotten said anything. He hadn't performed any miracles. Nothing has been done. Now, this is the same prophet of God who told Naaman to go and dip seven times in the river Jordan. And what happened? He came up cleansed of leprosy. The same prophet who commanded different things to take place and everything happened just like he said. The last thing that he has done 45 years earlier from this point was he sent a man down and says, anoint Jehu as the king of Judah. And nobody's heard from him since. Now, in the meantime, I'll just throw this at you. The kingdom of Judah uh, started their own state religion. Can you imagine that? They decided to start their own state religion. And the reason being is because they were afraid that if they continued doing what the word of God said and what they were commanded to do, that the people of Judah going to Jerusalem to worship would start to get soft-hearted and say, you know what, let's go back and start reuniting together. So Jeroboam I decided that he would start a state religion that said, we're going to go ahead and make it convenient for you. We're going to put what? A temple here in Dan where we have two cows that one would represent God's strength, the other one is power, and we're going to put another one down here in Bethel to do the same. Ah, religion of convenience. You don't no longer have to go way over there. You can do it from the convenience of your house, right here. You don't have to go anywhere. How many of you know that convenience has a price? It wasn't long into it that the people of the northern kingdom began to worship false gods and idolatry because of this. And every single king that came along all the way till they were overtaken did not change this. There were some that said, well, we're going to start walking in the things of God, but they never did away with these two places of worship, which were idolatry. And the reason being is because they don't want to get the people to where they would want to go and unify with them because it's going to put them out of a position. So it was all about, in one sense, we'll make it be convenient for the people. State religion, convenience. Convenience comes with a price. How many of you have gone to a convenience store and got a Gatorade? One person. I don't believe that. Two people. More people than that. You've gone to the store and got at a convenience store, pulled up in there, went in there real quick, Went over there, got you a Powerade, Gatorade, walked up to the counter, and it was $1.89. I know all this because I've done it. Could have went to Winn-Dixie, got eight of them for five bucks. There was a price there for that convenience. And we all know that. They even call it a convenience store. They don't want to say, we're here not for your convenience. They're really there to make money. 
take your money and charge you double for it. The convenience of the state religion cost the whole nation. It cost them big. So here it is. The prophet had done anything. Sitting there 45 years. And all of a sudden, in this, particular, in this verse here, it says that Joash, the king of Israel, came down unto him and wept over his face and said, O father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. He comes in. He has never been there before. No record of his ever going there. But he does know some things. He heard and got wind that the prophet Elisha was dying, and he knew some things that were happening in his country. And what was taking place? Syria was attacking them. At this particular time, Syria has already taken over 25 cities of Israel in, in, in the northern kingdom. He hears that the prophet is dying. He also knows, because he does read, because all these are written in the book of Chronicles and the kings and all of, of the different things that took place, all the miracles of, of uh, Elijah, all the miracles of Elisha, all these things have been recorded. And he hears and he knows where this prophet is. He knows he's down in Dothan. He knows that this same prophet back in the earlier years when Syria mounted up and came against them, would call up over there and tell the king, say, king, Syria's coming down. They set a trap for you down at such and such place. Just want you to know. So the king of Israel, they'd go out there and guess what? They would, they would conquer them because they knew what their game plan was. They didn't do that once. They did it twice, I know of, because the very king of Syria says, I want to know who's telling the king over there, what our game plan is. Who is it that's betraying us? And the people there said this, Oh, king, it's not us. It's the prophet Elisha. It's his doings. He knows what's going on even in your bedchamber. God tells him. Well, the king got a bright idea. says, Well, look, let's go down there. We're going to surround him and take him captive. So one day, servant of Elisha got up, walked outside, looks out, and they're surrounded by the Syrian army. And he comes back, alas, alas, master, we're surrounded. Elisha didn't get up and go and fret and look out there and say, well, yeah, I guess you're right. He didn't even move. He just said, Lord, open his eyes and let him see that there's more of us than them. Didn't even pay attention to it. Why? Because he's identifying with who he is and who God is. And the servant is identifying by what he sees. Didn't even get up. And the Lord opened the eyes of the servant, and he saw that the mountains were filled with chariots of fire and angels. Cut through the story quickly. He, Elisha just stood up and said, Lord, smote them with blindness. They couldn't even see, and they just all there, bouncing around. And Elisha walks down and says, Elisha walks down and says, what, what you need? And uh, they said, well, we're looking for you. He said, let me just take you where you want to go. Walked him all the way over to the king's place. Not in Dothan, took him for a hike. They showed up down there, all of them just following each other, blind, leading blind, all the way down through there. Got there, and the king is just that. Got the whole Syrian army, and they can't even see. And he turned to Elisha, shall we just kill him? Let us run him through with a sword. And Elisha said, no. Put food and water before them. Let them eat all they want, drink all they want. 
Send them on their way. Just let them go back. Wow. That's what Elisha did. This guy, Joash, the king came down here to see him on his deathbed. He knew about all this. He knew about Samaria when the, they had come another time and encompassed them round about and were starving them to where the, the, a horse, a donkey's head was being sold for an outrageous amount of money so they could make soup and eating dove dung and eating their own kids and all of this. And he's sitting there. He ain't moved by any of it. King's threatened, I'm going to take his head off of him today. And he said, don't let the son of this murderer, Ahab, come in here and get me. Stopped him at the door. Then he looked at him and he says, let me tell y'all something. Tomorrow about this time, everything will be restored. And they mocked him. The king's official mocked him and, and said, can't be. Can't be if God opened the windows of heaven. He said, you'll see it, but you ain't going to partake of it. And you know what happened? The next day at that time, everything was just like it was. The guy saw it, but he died. He was trampled to death. He didn't partake of it. This king, Joash, he knew about this. He knew about it. He knew about all these things. So he shows up and he says, Master, oh Father, oh Father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And you know what it, that means? He means you are the one that's the defense of Israel. It's not our soldiers. We're not it. You know why? Because the last battle of one of those 25 cities that were taken, he's now down to 50 horsemen. Got 50 guys, got horses, and 10 chariots and 10,000 guys. That's all they got. That's the army. They're not doing too well. And he looks and says, the only reason we're not overtaking right now is because of you. You are the defense of Israel. You. The man of God is. Because we're not living right. We know it's you. You have been our defense all this time. So here it is. I probably need to get over to those scriptures myself. He says to him, Where are we? And Elisha said to them, after he came down and acknowledges, he's crying and he's weeping. He's, he's sincere in a sense. He's coming to the presence of the anointing of God there and this man of God. And he says, Father, oh, Father. The very same words that Elisha used when Elijah was taken out. The very same words. How did he know that? Because it was recorded. He read this before he went down to see it. That's why. He knew it. Elisha says, Father, oh, my father, my father, the horsemen, the chariot and the horsemen of Israel. And so here it is. He's calling Elisha this now because he has done the very thing. He's been their defense. And Elisha opens his eyes and looks at him. And he says this. Take the bow and arrows. Peter, come on up here a minute, please. He says, take the bow and arrows. And he took them. So here we are. Got a bow up here. We're not going to shoot towards you or anywhere else, I hope. But he said, take the bow. And he took the bow. He said, take the arrows. And he took the arrows. So here it is. This guy, this king, Joash, is now doing, Jehoash, is doing exactly what the prophet of God said to him. The prophet said, get the bow, he got the bow. Get the arrows, he got the arrows. And he took him 
the bow and arrows. And he said to the king, put thy hand upon the bow. And he put his hand upon the bow. He obeyed him again. And he said, uh, Elisha put his hands, let's say, put thy hand upon the bow. And he put his hand upon the bow. And Elisha put his hands upon the king's hand. In other words, he comes over here, this old man who is on his deathbed dying, walks over and puts his hands on the king's hands. Represent, this is symbolic. He was revealing to the king, God is partnering with you. God is partnering with you. As long as you do what I'm telling you, things are going to go well. So he put his hands upon his, his hands. And he told him, he says, open the window eastward. And so he opened the window eastward. Every command that the prophet is telling the king, the king is obeying. Put your hand on the bow, got the bow. Get the arrows, get the arrows. Open the window eastward, he opened the window eastward. He says, now shoot. Now eastward would be toward y'all, so we're not going to even aim that way. We're going to act like this is east when it's really north. He said, said pull it back. He said, now shoot, and he did. Don't, don't, don't. Oh, I know you wouldn't. <laughs> I guess I am. I guess you did. That's the very reason we didn't shoot towards the east. We departed somebody's hair down through here. At least that one didn't have a tip on it. It was blank. And go sit down. Just put it. Then he told him, "This next part is important, and I'm not going to. Let we don't need a demonstration." But he said to him, how in the world did I ever recover from this? <laughs> Thanks, Matt. And he said, open the window to eastward, and he opened it, and then Elisha said, shoot, and he shot. And he, Elisha, said, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from Syria. For thou shalt smite the Syrians at Aphek, till thou hast consumed them. The prophet of God didn't just have his hands, and the anointing of God was not just upon the king. It wasn't in the king, it was upon him because God was with him. You, you follow what I'm saying, right? And he, when he shot the arrow through the wall, he said... The arrow of the Lord's deliverance. The prophet said this. Now, then he steps away from it. He said, King, take the arrows. He took the arrows. And he said to him, Smite upon the ground these arrows. Smite upon the ground. A lot of people, you would hear it, they probably thought he, meant, he did like this. That's not what it means. Hebrew language does not say it that way. You read the other translation, it will tell you. Every commentary will tell you. What that means is he took the arrows, he pulled them back and shot them out that same window towards Syria. That's why it was eastward, because that's where his enemy was. And he was shooting out there declaring war on his enemy. And he shot one, he shot two, he shot three, and stayed. That's all he did. And it says here, and the man of God was wroth with him. 
The man of God got mad. He has been obedient to do what the man of God said every single step. Get the bow, he got the bow. Get the arrow, he got the arrow. Open the window eastward, open the window eastward. Shoot the wall, shot the wall. Now he's told to do his own. Now you do it. You do it. And what did the man of God do? He half-heartedly did what he was supposed to do. He half-heartedly shot out the window three times, and it says he stayed. Now that word stayed means uh, amad, amad, which means he became motionless. He halted at what he was doing. And the prophet got mad at him. He said, why did you stop? Why did you stay? Why did you become motionless? You should have shot five, six times. And then you would have consumed Syria. But since you didn't do that, now you will defeat them but three times. And the last of this chapter says that very thing. It says three times in verse 25, three times did Joash beat him, being the Syrians, and reverted the cities of Israel. So he recovered those 25 cities that he had lost over the next three battles, but he didn't annihilate the Syrian army. And the Syrian army continued to come back and destroy that nation and overtook it. He could have annihilated them, did, got rid of them altogether. And that's what the prophet Elisha wanted. Prophet Elisha basically said, I'm giving you a blank check to get rid of your enemies. And he stopped. Why would he do that? Why is it that he had a blank check to get rid of his enemies, to defeat them from ever and ever? It's because he didn't believe what the man of God was telling him. He didn't believe the instructions, the discipline. He's like, well, I went through the motions. Didn't I go through the motions? Didn't I get the, the bow? Didn't I get the arrow? Didn't I open the window? Didn't I shoot the wall? Huh? Did I not do all these things? And what? Three's a good number. See, he didn't take what was done and learn by it. Tell me something. When he shot those arrows, struck the ground three times, what did he say? Nothing. He says, this one is for this city. This one is for that city. This one is for this city. And he would have ran out. He said, give me some more arrows. I ain't through with cities yet. And, kept, and the prophet would have been hysteric. He said, yes, you're getting it. He didn't open his mouth. His whole heart was, yeah. It's religion. I went to church last Easter. It's just religion. It ain't real life. I'm just down here. Just, just say a quick prayer and let me be on my way. Are you getting anything? Because we're not even halfway there with what we're doing. And what he's saying here. He says, because you did this, you've made a mess. You could have annihilated these people and they would never again be able to come and attack your children and your children's children. Now you won't have to deal with it. You'll be gone. But what your enemy that you have today is now your children's enemy and your grandchildren's enemy and you had the opportunity to do away with it and didn't do it. That word stayed is the same word that was used when the widow woman, her 
husband died and left owing a debt. And the prophet Elisha went to her. She was crying. And, and he said to her, he says, ma'am, you go out of your house and get your boys to go and get every vessel they can borrow throughout the whole land. And you bring them back to your house and shut the door. And you take that cruise of oil there and you fill up these vessels that you borrowed and pay your debt. She went and borrowed all, everything. She got back and it says that, the, that she kept pouring. And as long as there was vessels, the oil kept pouring. And then it said, and the oil amad. Why? There was no more vessels. How many of you know that you're a vessel of God? Said the oil, Ahmad, the same thing, it became motionless because there was no more vessels. Because he would not go any farther than three arrows, it stopped. It didn't have to stop. No more than that oil had to stop. She could have borrowed a thousand more vessels and the oil would still have been pouring out. But when... It stopped, so did the anointing. And when this one stopped, so did the other. How can we look at that to today? Well, I'm going to just tell you. In 2019, our government was having trouble with a foreign nation, China, tariffs and all kind of other things going on, trade war type thing. And our country got in there and they said, hmm, we're not playing this anymore. And the, the president changed to put tariffs and all that and just really hurt China and blessed our country. Economy-wise, our country was rocking. It was going through the roof. Things were great. And in a few months, we had a pandemic that went around the entire world, 2019. And God went and hid himself because he didn't know what to do. This was something he never faced before. This was bigger than the swine flu and the Spanish flu and the bubonic plague. and all. I mean, he didn't know what to do. No, he didn't. People thought he did. The church acted like he did. Oh, man, this is, we got this to deal with. We, we, you know, and they were all fearful. Now, listen, I don't want you to take this wrong because I have a good friend, my buddy here in this church named Gordon Remiger, who, who, who they put on a ventilator for 30 days expecting him to die, but his wife's over there says, he will not die but live and see the glory of God. She chose to believe what God said, not the nurses, not the doctors, not science, not everybody else out there. She chose to believe what God said. So I'm not belittling him. A lot of people died because nothing was helping. They didn't help them. And there'll be all kinds of things that'll come out. But here's what happened. We entered into 2020. And that's when it actually started, the pandemic that started in 19, actually started coming over here to our country and started to the point in March of that year. If you remember, they shut, said everybody's going to take two weeks off and everybody's going to stay home. And it ended up being all of that year and then the next year and then just confusion and chaos everywhere. So here we are. 2019, that happened. 2020, 2021, 2022, and now we're at 23. Hmm. The first arrow, God's hand was upon it, shot. And he said, he's already proclaimed that he is the healer. 
He shot, he said, this is the arrow of the Lord's deliverance pertaining to this pandemic. We didn't listen to him. We didn't grab a hold of the truth and say, I'm not going to be moved. If God's not through moving, I'm not through waiting. If God's not through working, I'm not through praising. What did we do? The church world, along with everybody else, because we've been identifying with the state-run government, the state-run religion instead of him, we, because we're not disciplined, not following instruction, we're like, okay. But we were delivered that day. God didn't wait till everybody was dying. He delivered them right then. Second arrow. Oh, what happened? That was year 2020. Year where we were supposed to to be a year of vision, well, it was. It revealed people's hearts. That's how big a vision it was. It was a, such good, clear eyesight. It went and saw what was in people's hearts. The fear. The form of godliness and, and no power, all this. Next year. In the next year. Three years there. Like three more hours where he shot in the ground and didn't say a word. What is the Lord saying to us? He's saying this. Since this one is one the Lord shot through the wall over there. 2019. 2020. 2021. 2022. And they stopped. My question to you this morning is this. Are you stopped? Have you become Ahmad? Have you become motionless? Have you become to a place where you're just going to halt? You still got arrows. And when they run out, he'll give you more. Because there's an enemy out there that's trying to kill your children, kill your grandchildren, destroy everything about you. And God's saying, no. You take the year 2023 and you begin to declare the works of the Lord with your mouth as you shoot the arrow of the Lord into this year. Are you hearing me? This is what we have to do. You don't sit back and just say, well, I'm just going to be motionless. I'm just waiting on the Lord. I'm just, you know, I'm just, well, you know, what am I to do? What can you do? What do you think Elisha sat there for 45 years, but he didn't sit there like this, just snoozing, watching TV. He wasn't watching Home Shopping Network. He was before the Lord praying and interceding for this nation who was in rebellion and worshiping the wrong God. False gods. And he knew it. He was interceding for them. He wasn't finished yet because he was still alive. You are too because that's why you're here. You've got no reason to sit motionless when it comes to the instructions that God has given us as the body of Christ. It's no time to stop. We're to keep shooting the arrows at the enemies because our children and grandchildren's lives depend on it. Shoot with a heart of faith. Don't just shoot. I'm just shooting. Why? Because that's what he said. Just shoot. So I'm just shooting. No, shoot with a heart of faith. Believe that when you shoot that something's going to happen. Shoot with a heart of joy. Be excited about it. Have the strength of God in you. It says the joy of the Lord is our strength. Shoot with the joy of the Lord. Shoot with an expectation. I'm not just shooting blindly out in the middle of nowhere. I am shooting with an expectation, my hope. This is the, this is the end in view. 
So what does that mean? Take the word of God. His promises should be the end in view. Shoot with that expectation that what God said he meant. He wasn't just trying to fill pages in a book. He's serious about it. So how can we see this application this morning of what this happened in our own personal life? What did God say and how we were going to respond to what he said about this year is this. 2023 is no time to quit. You still got arrows. You still got a bow. You still got to shoot. You're not gone. Don't you dare become motionless. Don't you dare stop. Don't you dare let the anointing stay. You keep moving. You keep declaring. You keep decreeing what God said, not what this world is saying. You see, much is to be said in the next days. There is an end time revival coming. And either you can sit back and be motionless and not say anything, don't pray, just I'm just waiting, just taking it on the chin. One day it'll all wake up. Let me tell you what'll happen. Nothing's gonna happen in your life. One day, if I've learned anything according to the scriptures and according to my encounter with the Lord, there'll come a day that you will stand before him and give an account for your life. That is a guarantee. You will give an account for what you said, what you've done with your life that he gave you. And is it going to be, well, Lord, I was just waiting. I mean, there was a pandemic, and, and the state religion wouldn't allow us to, to really do anything. They said we should identify with all these things, and you said that we should not have any other gods before us. But yet the state religion made it convenient for us. It'll cost you to pray. It's going to cost you to stand up and do what God said. It's going to cost you to be obedient to the word of the Lord. There's a price, but there's a reward for that discipline. And there's a reward for being undisciplined. And you don't want that one. Because the nation of Israel there got overtaken because they stayed. They didn't move. They became motionless. Now, one of the foundations that <laughs> bricks disciplines in the body of Christ. Peter asked me to, to minister on this, but is on giving. What did God have to say about giving? I did a course, was it 11 weeks, 10, 8 weeks, 11? I don't know. It was a bunch. In other words, 8 hours, 11 hours worth of teaching on giving. God's got a lot to say about it, okay? A whole lot. We can't do that in 15 minutes. But I will tell you this, that every one of these things comes with a promise, and God said this about it, about giving. There are com there's commands, and there's promises, and there's a result for the obedience. Just going to throw this at you. We've all heard this many times if you've been in church. Malachi 3.10. This is an application of this instructions of what God has told us, okay? This is the application. This is like the prophet saying, put your hand on the bow, take the, take the arrow, open the window, 
shoot eastward. This is this part. This is what we're to do in the area of spiritual discipline in dealing with giving. Malachi 3.10 says, Bring all the tithes into the storehouse. There'll be meat in my house. And prove me now herewith, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing, that thou shalt not be room enough to receive it. And if you don't identify with that, it's because you've been listening to too much trash. God said this. This is what God said. He said, I'm giving you a command to bring all the tithes into the storehouse. That there'll be meat or provision in my house. And prove me. He's saying, I double dog dare you to do this. And see if I don't open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing on you that you won't have room to receive it all. I don't have time to really go preach about it. This is just what he said. I don't think he was just like, oh, no, I'm just going to throw a bunch of stuff. I think he meant what he said. And you know what? I dared to believe him. I believed him when we didn't have any food. When my daughter at five years of age and Heidi and I look and we don't have any food and, 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 and I've got a $10 bill in my pocket and, and I'm like, oh, oh, do I give the $10 to the church or do I buy food so that she can at least have a spoonful of rice or something or a bowl of cereal? I had to make a decision and I looked at her. I will never forget it. Looking down at her, I had to make a decision. Either she's going to eat with the money I've got, or I'm going to give it to God. I'm going to leave it with him. He said he'd provide the daily bread. I didn't tell nobody. Nobody knew. I said, fine, I'm giving it to her. We're going to find out right now if God meant what he said. I didn't even know that there was a book of Job. I thought it would be a book of Job. I didn't know nothing about the scriptures. But I knew this, that the God that came in that room that night was real. And we're going to find out, did he really mean this or not? And I believe with all my heart that God looked down and he saw this. And he said, finally, somebody that will believe what I'm saying. I went in there and gave that $10. And I knew there's a possibility that she's not going to eat today. But you know what? There's people starving all over this world. And this little girl can make it a whole day. But we're going to find out that God mean what he said. And you know what happened? Somebody came up to us after church and said, what y'all doing for lunch? And I said, nothing. And I meant it. They said, won't y'all go over to our house and eat with us? Said, okay. Second week, same thing. Exact. I'm looking at her, same place, same, standing in front of the sink, getting ready, looking at her again. And I got to deal with this. It was harder the second time than it was the first time because the second time, he said, the devil was there quickly to say, you know, last week was just a coincidence. Uh-huh. And I said, no, we're going to do it. Did it again. Next week, guess what? I gave the $10. Somebody came up and said, uh, what you doing for lunch? Nothing. Why don't you go out to us, out, out to eat with us? It's our treat. Okay. Third week was harder than the other, the second week because now it's been two weeks. That's definitely two weeks in a row. I mean, God ain't going to do this three times. You know, after all, you're an idiot anyway. And you're a sorry person and all this other stuff. Four weeks, same thing. The fifth week, after four weeks of God proving that he's going to feed us and nobody knew what was happening, I looked down and I saw it. I thought, I wonder what we're eating today. Because I already know what I'm going to do. And the sixth week was the same thing. And then breakthrough. God's word works. So, well, I didn't experience that. Well, you know, what am I supposed to believe you then? I choose to believe what God said because it, it did. 
He goes on and he says, this is not a suggestion. This is a command. Bring you all the tithes in the storehouse. And if you want God's intervention in your life pertaining to your finance, then how about trusting and obeying? Don't say I trust. Don't say I believe and then don't do because I'm going to tell you the truth. You do what you believe. You do what you believe. You don't always do what you think. And as a pastor for all these years, 40 years right at ministry, basically, I've heard a lot of people say, well, this is what I believe. And I just have to be real nice and polite and listen. And I'm thinking, no, you don't. Because if you did, you'd do it. You don't believe that. And if you do, that ain't even what God's word says. So you, you're just making it your own Bible? Is that what you're going to do? God knows what he meant. He said it. It's our response. I mean, our responsibility is to respond accordingly to the instructions that have been given to us. It's discipline. He says, Proverbs 3, 9, Honor the Lord with thy substance and the first fruit of all thy increase. Another command, another promise. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty and thy presses break forth with new wine. What was that? There you go. A promise, a command, a promise, and the results of obedience. I'm going to read one to you now that you probably ain't never heard. Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30 says, And all the tithe of the land, say all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or the fruit of the tree is the Lord's. And then it goes on and it says, It is holy unto the Lord. Holy unto the Lord. Verse 32, And concerning the tithe of the herd and or the flock, even of whatsoever passes under the rod, the tenth of the tithe shall be holy unto the Lord. Hmm. When did it become holy? Better than that, what are you doing with what God called holy? What are you doing with what God calls holy? How are you treating what God calls holy. It ain't holy because he's got it. It was holy before it, when it went under the rod. It was holy when it was produced on that tree. It was holy when it came into your possessions. All of that. That's when it was holy. It wasn't holy once you put it in the pot. It was holy when you were using it for the flesh. Told you you probably wouldn't like this part. But just as the prophet Elisha had to let the king know what's going on, I have a responsibility too. I love you. Deuteronomy 28, if you ever get the opportunity to read the 14 chapters, I mean 14 verses of that, this speaks of the blessings of God for being obedient and disciplined in your life. You see, I believe God's word with all my heart. Because I believe it, I act accordingly i believe it i believe in the tithe i believe i understand what the tithe is about i understand that god our father who loves us so much that he took his only begotten son and had him come to this earth and die a sinful death there took upon his body our sin he lived a sinful sinless life and took our sin to the cross separated himself from father died went to hell paid the price so that you and i could be united with him he cares about us that much i don't think he decided to do away with all tithing and all that this is his structure of how to finance the very thing that he gave his son for 
And he's saying, I need you to partner with me because I'm going to meet my man of God's needs. And if you'll partner with me, I'm going to open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing upon you that you ain't going to have room to receive it all. And I'll rebuke the devourer for your sake, and the vine shall not cast fruit before its time. And the nations will call you a delightsome land. Because we partnered with him. He put his hands on our hands with that bow. You want God to be involved in your workplace and your checkbook? Let him put his hands on it. Are you hearing me? Speak to it. Shoot. Arrow, write that tie Arrow of deliverance of my finances. Out of debt. I mean, what did I do with that? <laughs> I saw this the other day. 1990s, somewhere in there, 95, 6, 7, somewhere in there. We used to do this. Offerings of thanks. As I tithe and give offerings, I am believing the Lord for jobs and better jobs, raises and bonuses, benefits, sales and commissions, favorable settlements, estates and inheritances, interest and income, rebates and return, discounts and dividends, checks in the mail, gifts and surprises, finding money, bills decreased, bills paid off, blessings and increase. Anybody remember any of that? I stand before you today. I have interest and income, rebates and returns, discounts and dividends, checks in the mail. Got four last month. Y'all just act like you're excited for me, okay? I mean, I got four checks. This just came from four different places. Just money just came. Didn't ask, didn't solicit, didn't do anything. It just came. Like I said, just be happy for me. Gifts and surprises. Finding money. Bills paid off. When I began to speak those things and shooting the arrow of the Lord's deliverance in my finances, this was only a desire this is what I believe. This is what I was standing on. This was my vision. Today I stand before you. I am debt free. We owe nobody nothing. We're able to sow, to give. We give to, to the poor every single week because there's promises in God's word and he wants us to prosper to the point we can be generous and give to the poor. And for 20-something years, Marsh and I, every single week we give to the poor. I don't stand here and tell you that. Nobody knows this but the church. I don't tell the people in the community. My, my family don't know it. Uh, you know, my brothers and sisters. I tell you because I'm trying to instruct you and encourage you. You can't outgive God. Marcia and I needed help. There was nobody there to help us. I said, God, I want to help those Allens and Marshes. We're blessed. Holy faith. Not just being churchy. It's true. We're set. I don't look to a checkbook. I don't look to my investments. I don't look to the stock market. I don't look to those things. I look to my God. The promise of His Word. That's who I look to. I'm not identifying with a convenience store state government and religion. Identifying with the God who loved me so much he gave his son for me. 
cast your bread upon the water. After many days, you'll find it. Give a portion to seven. No, make it eight. For you don't know what evil is coming upon the land. Ecclesiastes 11. Evil has come upon the land. God said, don't just tithe. Give more than that. Because you don't know what's out there. But God does. And he's got promises. He said, it'll come back on every wave. After 22 years of giving to the poor and the needy and all, it comes back in the mail. Checks in the mail. Bonuses, rebates, refunds. Finding money. I found a gift card this week. $50. Had it for two years. Didn't even know it. Turned right back around, told Marcy, guess what? She said, what? This was two days ago. I said, I found another gift card. She said, what? That's the other 50 bucks. Another $50. She said, give it to me. In the morning, sow thy seed in the evening, withhold not your hand. For thou knowest not whether she'll prosper or both of them. I've run out of time about those things but I'm not going to be just a hearer of the word I'm a doer of the word and the Bible says but whosoever looketh into the complete law of liberty his instructions and continues therein not just being uh, uh, not being a forgetful hearer but being a doer of this word this man shall be blessed I stand before you today and declare that I'm blessed conclude with this Joshua came to the end of his ministry and life king there Joshua 24 verse 15 you throw that up there Joshua 24 15 and I can't think of a better way to stop than just this right here and then we'll pray because Peter would have had you out of here by now but he's going to have to fix that wall Joshua says this to the people. And I'm saying this to you. All those that are online, I'm saying this to you as well. And if it seems evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you'll serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites, or the state religion of what the world says our government all this identity stuff that's where you want to be you go ahead but as far as me and my household we're going to serve the Lord you choose what you're going to do but I'm going to serve God what are you going to do with every head bowed and eye closed nobody looking around you may be here this morning and say you know pastor I feel like I've been just like Joash I've been shooting arrows. I ain't been saying anything. I've just been going through motions. I've been moving, but I hadn't really been believing. My heart hadn't been in it like it should be, and I know it is. I know this for a fact. I'm tired of playing games. It's either God's real or he's not real. I'm not going to play games anymore. If that's you this morning, you say, I want to walk in the fullness, then slip your hand up. I want to pray for you because you're serious. There's a hand right there. There's a hand. There's a hand. There's a hand. Anybody else? There's another hand, another hand, another hand. If you're really serious about this thing, get real with it. You may say, well, I've been doing a little bit, but I've been weary. I'm just wore down. I, I feel like I'm, I'm, I don't want to shoot no more arrows. Until I, I, this morning when you said that, I was like, man, I've shot for three years. I just don't know what to do. 
I'm just tired. God knows that. That's why he has this message for you today. Don't you dare cease and stay. Don't you dare become motionless. Your children and your grandchildren, they depend upon it. You be the Elisha and stand there and you pray and seek and shoot the arrow of deliverance for your family. Don't you dare allow the spirit of fear to ruin your life and your children's life and your children's children. Don't you let debt stand in your way. You shoot the arrow of prosperity of the word of the Lord. Do what it takes. Get rid of that debt. Get rid of that death. Get rid of that fear. Get rid of those evil relationships. Quit identifying with the world. Follow the instructions, the discipline of the Lord. And you will see, you may not be the brightest crayon in the box. You may not be the sharpest. But because of the discipline of being in God's presence and being in His face and deciding and making a determined effort that for you and your house, you will serve God and nobody else. If you'll do that, you will overcome and supersede and outperform the more intelligent and the more talented. Because discipline always trumps talent and education. Instructions of the Lord will always overcome the world. Lord, you've seen the hands that went up. You see the hearts that are here today. You see the hearts that are here and online. And Lord, I thank you that you meet us right where we are. Whether we're weak, you meet us there. And you take your hands and you put it upon our hands as we put our hands upon our checkbooks, upon our, our, our children, upon our relationships, upon whatever it may be, we look, Lord, and we embrace your hands upon ours. We are partnering with you, Lord. We're going to walk in your statutes. We're going to walk in your ways. We will not stop and become motionless. Lord, strengthen those that have become weary and well-doing. 2020 came, gone. 2021 came, gone. 2022 has come, gone. We become tired. A little bit more tired. A little bit more tired. Lord, energize. Energize your people with the joy of the Lord because they've been in your presence more than the presence of the convenience store. They've been in your presence doing what's not convenient. Lord, I thank you that 2023 will be a year that they've been set free. It will be a year of freedom. 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 For if you're not still working, I'm not through waiting. If you're not through doing, I'm not through praising. I praise you, Lord. Thank 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 you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Oh, bless the Lord. Y'all stand to your feet. Bless the Lord. Oh, my soul. And all that's within me. Bless his holy name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for 2023. Thank you, Lord, as we walk into this year. We don't walk alone. You walk with us hand in hand. Promises. 
Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for our children. We thank you for our grandchildren. We thank you for being free, free from fear, free from debt. Thank you, Lord, that we walk in your instructions. And we do so with complete confidence. For we choose to believe you more than this world as we continually identify with you, our most high God. Y'all be blessed. I love you. 2023, be a great year. Amen. Glory to God. If you believe it, y'all give him a shout. Glory. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Woo, we'll be dismissed. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.